I want to be able to feel emotionally different. And I know when clients come to me, it's like, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want a diagnosis. They don't want to spend endless hours going over the narrative. They want emotional resolution. Any successful relationship starts with finding your center, the truth at the core of who you are. Only then can you develop the ability to truly connect with someone else. Concentric is about aligning with people who share a common center. This show gives you the tools and the skills to do just that through practical training, real life stories and examples, and in-depth interviews with people who have taken this journey and come out the other side better for it. Welcome to Concentric. We're glad you're here. Welcome to episode 21 of Concentric. Today we're talking about this idea of asking for help, something that may seem very easy and simple on the outside. When we actually dig in and think about it from the the perspective of really being at a point in your life that, that you've been struggling with something for a while, or it's just hard emotionally to ask for, to speak about, it can get really tough. And it's interesting, you know, as per usual of the shows that Gary and I do, you know, it's what's going on in our lives or the conversations that we're having out in the world and and digging into those here. And for me, this is something that has come up numerous times in conversation just this week. So I thought a it was a perfect uh, topic for us to dig into and discuss. You know, I consider myself someone who is lucky enough to have someone like Gary to talk to and, and many other friends who we actually talk about difficult things and, you know, going through stuff and, and actually communicate. But I bring that up because, you know, it's something that, that, that people can struggle with at, at all levels. and. I'm someone who finds it easy to talk about things, have difficult conversations, and still it's tough. Still, I found myself just a few weeks ago struggling with something so much, and I actually did reach out to Gary for help in my own weird, awkward way because I was too ashamed to you know, just come out and ask. And not, not ashamed of the problem or even the thing to talk about necessarily, but just that feeling of being a burden. You know, I think that, that can be an aspect of this at times too, that it's not that I, I, I didn't want to, to, to share it, but I didn't want to be that burden. And I think that's a big piece of why it's so difficult to ask for help for a lot of us. Um, but it's also something that's incredibly important to do. And Gary really walks us through not only examples of how and how we can work through things that we're trying to ask for help around, um, but everything from you know personal all the way to corporate <laughs> versions of this that you know need to happen and need to get addressed before we can all move forward. All right, let's jump in. Welcome to Concentric, everyone. Gary, how are you, sir? I have been incredibly good. It's been a really long couple months. So uh, the new year got started and I've launched a bunch of new products. So it's pretty exciting. And I think that's why we just put a little bit of a pause on our Concentric podcast, just because things have been super, super, super busy. But now everything's kind of 
in the basket and uh, and we're good. As per usual, we kind of come together and see what's what's been coming up for, for each of us. And one of the things that has come up strangely, probably three different conversations this week for me, is this idea of, of asking for help. And it, it's one of those, I think if you had talked to me a week ago, <laughs> just, you know, very, you know, casually said, oh, do you have a problem asking for help? I don't know. What are you talking about? No, not really. You know, and, but as I got deeper in these conversations, it was really interesting to see, you know, when you get beyond just, oh, hey, could I, could I borrow a book from you? Not that kind of ask for help, but really <laughs> I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Level of ask for help. I realized, wow, I've experienced that very recently. And it was unbelievably difficult. And and I guess it was more shocking to me because I do talk about things. <laughs> I have amazing people like you, Gary, in my life uh, to talk to about things as they come up. And it was still difficult. So it was quite the revelation. And I think... I think it's different for men and women as well at different levels of, and, and what that brings up maybe. But I thought it would be a great topic for us to, to dig into and your experience on, on helping people on that side of things and yeah. if you've encountered that as well. Yes, um, actually I have. Um, a lot of times when people will come to me uh, for coaching, it is uh, like just this last two weeks, I think I've had about four or five people referred to me uh, by other, you know, by other past, past clients and stuff, and none of them have, have, have reached out. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, I'll, I'll send them off just a little email saying, hey, you know, I'm here when you're ready. Um, just let me know. And, uh, and I, this whole subject, when you brought it up, I immediately started to go to all the different types of emotions that can come up for people, depending on what our own developmental, you know, kind of issues are. Some it'll be around when I ask for help, am I am I exposing things that I am afraid to look at? Am I going to expose things that I'm too ashamed to have seen by anybody else? Um, can I? hide this away and compartmentalize it and just pretend that I'm calling it done when I'm emotionally being triggered? Um, how many masks do I have to wear over my face so no one sees that I have this internal issue going on with myself? How can I mask it best? And there's just a whole variety of different iterations of fear that can come up in a person when they're asking for help. A lot of times when people ask for help, there's a, there is a, um, I'll just speak for myself here. I don't ask for help if I, if I just, I want to be able to feel emotionally different. And I know when clients come to me, it's like, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want a diagnosis. They don't want to spend endless hours going over the narrative. They want emotional resolution. And those exactly the type of clients I want to be able to work with because in this type of work, you can get emotional re resolution. <clears throat> so very few people um, have enough self-awareness to know where some of these deeper issues are rooted in. 
And I think that is part of the issue as well is about having a resistance to ask for help because the person asking for help doesn't know where the root cause of these issues are. So it's a mystery to them. So they, they sit, they try to figure it out. They can't figure it out because it's generally at a very deep unconscious level. And when they they have a suspicion that that may be it, um, oftentimes the last thing a person wants to do is go way back into the past to resolve a, a root cause issue. And they're not too sure who's capable of being able to facilitate that for them. So they don't ask for help. Um, they generally know that traditional psychotherapy doesn't work at the root cause. <clears throat> um, it wants to, I believe. I think there's really good psychotherapists out there. But the methodologies that are generally accepted in the psychological community aren't historically known to go back to the root cause and be able to create emotional resolution in an expedient manner. So people are like, I don't know what to do with it, and I don't know where to go for it. And so there's, there's natural fear and, and resistance but a lot of it has to do with our own, um, at least many cases that, that I've seen, is that, and I know this is going to sound odd, but maybe not. If, do I want real help or do I want to punish myself for my perceived wrongdoings? And so oftentimes people will feel guilt and shame around asking for help. And because they have a, an initial sense of guilt and shame or low self-worth. And then they won't allow themselves to get the help that they need. Well, and, and I think that's going to be a, an interesting... Cause I, I like how you're laying out these different versions of this because it goes even, I would say, wider than, than I expected in terms of, of what falls under this idea of asking for help. Because you also have the people who will ask for help because they... They just want the attention, right? It's something even deeper than the thing they're asking about. Hey, look at me, look at me. They would prefer to maybe go to the therapist for six years because they get to talk about it over and over and, you know, get that attention. And so maybe, because that, that's the other thing too, people don't, people often have an idea of, I need help with this thing. And very often, if the more meaningful it is or, or pervasive, it, it comes at a breaking point time when they're finally going to ask. But even then, they're asking, probably I would say at a surface level, asking in terms of how it's manifested. Here's the things that I can no longer control. I need help with this. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where you're getting at and you will get that very quickly is awesome. Great. I hear you. I understand. You know, you don't, you don't want to ignore the thing they're saying, Hey, <laughs> this is what I need help with. And you're like, no, you don't like, uh, <laughs> you want to get, you want to acknowledge that, but then very quickly take a step back and back and back. And I think, I think in that context, where, where do you start with someone to, to try to get to the root of what's really going on? That's that's a really really powerful question. Um, me personally, when I'm I'm coaching, because um, you know you know I've coached a lot of people worldwide. I I actually tried to add it up the other day, and you know I I just sort of was giving this number out because I know it's been at least that, and then uh, you know I I will say like fifteen thousand seven hundred people worldwide, 
And then I really started adding up how many clients I've seen a year and then how many years I've been doing this. And it's, it's way over 30,000, but I don't, I don't say that because it sounds like just stupid, like too much of an exaggeration, but it's not. <laughs> and, wow. and what I thought was, you know, in the trenches with so many clients, our, our issues are, are very similar to each other's. Um, there's not a lot of difference in the human condition. And I've worked with everything from, you know, ceremonial, satanic ritual abuse to gang rape to, you know, mother not loving you, father not loving you, violence, I mean, and um, just people who are just, you know, mild to extreme narcissists, relationship issues, you know, it just, the list just kind of goes on and on and on and lots and lots of trauma. Um, and, and what I know is that there is a golden thread that runs through all of it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our life is a university, I believe, for the soul. And we're here to learn how to move past and through the pain of our physical reality and realize that actually, based upon our attitude here, we can navigate through anything. We can come out the other side of anything and make it something that actually builds us from the inside out, grows a muscle we never would have had. I know that sounds a bit like a cliche, but, but it is the truth that many people who have been dealt a difficult hand in life, the difficult hand is there. That's a fact. But it's how you play that hand that actually makes all the difference in the world. And you do that through the meaning of which you are ascribing to the issues. I think that when people have a resistance to asking for help, a lot of times it's like there's things outside of our, our, our awareness. It's an, almost an unconscious pattern that's running that people can't wrap their arms around. They can't understand it. They don't know where it's coming from. And that is why all change happens that is sustainable all sustainable change happens at the subconscious level so unless you're working with someone that can actually dive to that level and actually work at that level then it's very very difficult i was working with a client the other day and and i i explained this whole presuppositions of the subconscious mind that speaks in symbology and it is like when you take a cross and you paint it white and you put it right side up on a hill it means something incredible, right? To masses of people around the world. But you take that same cross, turn it upside down, paint it black and stick it in the ground, upside down, that means something completely different. So the symbols in our world, when they change, the whole meaning shifts. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Now, the subconscious mind speaks in symbology. That is its language. I did some work with, with a guy, tremendous trauma in his past, like off the charts, like nothing I've ever heard before. And, um, and I did just some very minor work with him, but we worked with the symbology of the subconscious mind. And I would say, he said, I feel terror. And I said, great. Where do you feel it in your body? He said, I feel it here in my chest. I said, just drop your attention down. 
and ask that feeling because obviously it wants to communicate something or would not have given you a location. Ask it if it could take a form so that we could communicate better with it. It took a form and the form was like a black ball of tar. And I said, great. What is its purpose? Why is it in existence? What is its message for you? And then it had a variety of things that it would it, it relate to him. And the whole time this guy's like, you know, engineer kind of guy, it's like, <laughs> he said to me, well, when we first started, I thought, what the hell am I doing talking to a ball of tar in my chest? He goes, what is this? And I'm like, dude, just go with it because it isn't about the conscious mind here. It's about the symbology because the symbology that the subconscious mind gives an emotional state could be like uh, like thousands of different events that built that emotional state with the evidence that that emotional state was valid and real. And you may have experienced that emotional state thousands of times. We don't. So there's know. a, there's like an efficiency oh, on the subconscious mind's tremendous. aspect instead tremendous. of these, yeah, like trillions of tremendous. feelings. Emo- now it's a single. Right. Thing. And I'm not okay. talking to him about the different episodes and why this person did that person what that means and what the diagnosis is. It's like, I don't care. I want the person to get emotional resolution. So we're talking about this and I said, okay, great. It's like, then we, then we do things, but I'm not going to explain the whole process, but what we did was at the very end, we brought all these resources. I would call it the inner healer, all these resources that were tremendously associated to the best things of his life. Whatever his faith was, his faith was involved in that. Whatever the best quality of his life was, they were involved in that. All the times he was left, that was involved in it. And we brought it down to that ball of tar. And I said, just ask that part of you that loves unconditionally, that is your inner healer, to do the healing work that is appropriate for today. Very important command. Appropriate for today. Don't like change it, route it out, throw it out. No. Make it appropriate for today because there's an ecology to change. And after about 10 minutes of him sitting in silence, I said, just nod your head when it feels complete with you. And he, after about 10 minutes, he nodded his head. Very little information is being spoken. And he comes back and he looks at me and he goes, I feel completely different. And I was like, good. Sit with this for a week. We'll connect in a week. And then we'll have another conversation and see what else we require to do. Now, this is, I mean, there's other conversations within the session, but this one tiny little intervention, just working with the symbology of the subconscious mind, being able to create enough rapport with a part of him that was terrified to be able to have me be able to engage with that part in a way that brought resources to it and had it actually shift the symbology because a black piece of tar turned into a shining orb. And I was like, okay, there has been a shift. I don't have to know what. All I know is that that form, that symbol that the subconscious mind gave from black tar to a shiny orb, there's been a shift. I don't have to know any more than that. I see him a week later and I said, you know, how did you integrate that last session? How are you doing today? He said, Gary, it feels like I'm a different person. And that I no longer, I haven't had that terror since we did that process. And I was like, awesome. I saw him 
this week, which is three weeks from the original session, I go, how are you feeling? He goes, I don't have that terror anymore. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you want to take a deep dive into the concepts Gary is talking about here and so much more, I've got something for you. From time to time on the show, you may hear us talk about Gary's course, Creating Incredible Relationships. This course is the culmination of Gary's 35 years worth of seminars, one-on-one training, and transforming the lives of over 11,000 people on four different continents. To learn how to build alignment and heck, just get along with others sometimes, we all require skills that are not commonly known and are not out there in the relationship development space. We need help. That's why Gary put this course together. The content in it is powerful and comprehensive, but just like we've done with this show, it's put together in a way that's easily consumable and quickly implemented. To gain the ability to take every relationship you have or want to have to the next level, go to garyscourse.com and see how to get started. Now, back to the show. So I'm looking at that. This isn't me making up a story. These are like these are like actual accounts of what happened. And I said to him, isn't it amazing that the subconscious mind can be so powerful when worked with in a way that is so respectful of it that it can change things in a blink of an eye that have haunted you all your life? And he goes, I'm completely blown away. I do not even know what to say about it. Let's do more. So we've got eight sessions ahead of us, and we're digging into all of it now. So I guess one of the things, going back to the original subject of why people don't ask for help or why there's resistance, because people think it's going to be hard and, and difficult to actually feel different about what's happening to them. People think this bad thing happened to me, and there's nothing I can do about it. I am I'm not doomed, I won't say that, but I, I am frozen in time by that event, and I know because it's happened, I can't change it. And what I'm here to say is that you actually can, because a memory is only picture sounds and feelings glued together by the emotional states and the way it originally entered your nervous system. And that is, is changeable in a very, very short period of time, anywhere from 10 minutes to a half hour. So people have to understand that there's options and availability because there's information on the planet now that has never been here before. People, ways of working with people that is not from the Freudian Jungian models of traditional psychotherapy, which is fabulous, by the way, and it suits people to at a certain point of their evolution. And then there come a point where they go, I need something different. And that's where people will come and seek people like me out. So what we have to start looking at is if people are afraid of, of, of asking for help, know that there are systems available that actually can help you really, really quickly. Know that you can shift your emotional states, that your past is only a series of pictures, sounds, and feelings with the emotions tied around it and the beliefs at orbit around those events. And once those are shifted and they can be shifted, once they're shifted, then you have a different emotional state that you will feel. And in that, it starts to change your life because the emotional state you walk around in is literally what you draw to you. And so this is what most of us don't understand is that 
if I have something in my field, like um, we talked about this before, I was talking about my issue, you know, thing, I've got this, I just discovered like how far back it goes. So after we get done, I'm going to start working on that, which it'll be very cool for me. And so, but when we have that, then we're able to start shifting what starts showing up because I'm, I don't want to go to the law of attraction too much, but I do want to go to this, um, the, the more of the biology of it is that we have a reticular activating system in the back of our skull, you know, pencil shape, organ about that big. And what it does is when we believe something and we believe it, we will look out into our three-dimensional world and it acts like an algorithm that literally eliminates contrary evidence to our belief systems. So if we're thinking that we're worthless and that we're a piece of garbage in some way, cancel clear, and we're thinking that, then what actually begins to start showing up is more evidence that that belief system is real and true because that's what the reticular activating system does. It, it ignores. Have you ever tried to give someone a powerful compliment of who they are and how you see them when they feel horrible about themselves? They cannot and will not hear it nor will they take it in. We can't do it. So this is why we have to start shifting beliefs, doing some of the deeper work, so we think we can get the help, shine brighter, get out there, make our contribution, because each one of us, I don't think the world's complete until we all kind of show up as complete as we can be. I think it's kind of time, myself, because... As we know, the world's getting just a tad bit more, what's the word? Feral. That <laughs> <laughs> we require to show up in a way that has more humanity. And we can't do that if we're dragging behind us a wounded heart. Yeah. And I think I think this is the this is the most interesting. It's the biggest piece for people to grab onto that isn't spoken about enough with with the approach you do specifically is that it's a, a seeming contradiction because it is the deeper work, right? And inherent in the, that thought is, oh my goodness, I'm going to be reliving how painful this has been for 30 years and it's just going to be more of that and if i've been going through it for 30 years it's going to take 30 years to get you know to the other side or some version of that and i think that's the the piece is that it's this yes it's the deeper work but it's less painful than lightly talking about it for the next 6 years to somebody and certainly then, then to continue to carry that around and bury it. Um, well, you know personally how quickly these processes can change past events that used to be really heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. I mean, it's... Because something you said earlier on too, again, going back to, you know, why people won't ask for help. Ben. You know... I know people personally who have 
their approach with a lot of things that they know they need help with and they get this stuff figured out. Just like, I'm not opening that door, you know, because <laughs> I, you know, and then a lot of folks, not only to f- not face it themselves, but there is that level of, of, of either shame or embarrassment, or I, 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 I can't say this out loud again, or I don't want to rehash it. And I think that's something that's so amazing with your process. I think there's, there's room certainly for sharing for the people who need to get out. Hey, this happened to me. There's, there's room. You allow that space for that a little bit, but it's also not necessary. You, you, you touched on it in that example. Like, I don't need to know the detail. This is coming from you. This isn't you going, okay, we're going to find your black tar thing and we're going to turn it into orb. Like, no, this is the best version of your you, you know, I'm listening. I'm here to listen to your subconscious. You know, it is and, the, that is literally Jason the most respectful way to work with people, because those those aspects of symbology that come forward from a client, that is the collective of their unconscious mind's way of symbolizing their pain, and when that transforms, the 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 emotional pain transforms. And it sounds so simplistic, but it is so respectful because I'm not saying to the client, oh, you're wrong. Oh, you're, you belong in this category of diagnosis or that category of diagnosis. Um, it's, it's none of that. It's literally pacing the sanctity of how their subconscious mind, the collection of everything they've ever experienced, and it's in your belief system from lifetimes to now, you know, from eternity to now. And if that is, any of that is true, then the most sacred way to work with someone is to honor that and work with the depth of the deepest part of them and give it the space to transform in its own way and its own time and help it along the way through conversations and more strategic questions. And, and it works. That's the bottom line. It works. So powerful. And, you know, I, I want to say this, this one thing um, for people that are in a leadership position in organizations. Um, I was asked by a company to, to um, help them begin to evolve their, um, the leaders that they are suspecting are going to be in a succession plan to replace the top leadership um, of this particular organization. It's a huge organization, and they know they have to plan, um, they have to get their succession plan in place. And and I, I said to them this this one thing that just picked up their ears, and I said, you know, you can, you can train someone to do their job better. You can train someone to resolve problems more effectively and to understand more about project management or strategic planning or board governance. You can, you can train someone to do all that. But what you can't train them to do is to bring their soul to the job. You can't train them to show up in a way that brings the humanity, because this company, at a very high level of, of leadership, they are, they are amazing. Like They bring their soul to work. And I said, you can't train someone to have the level of humanity, generosity, respect for their people, 
and true caring, which means you bring your soul to work, that isn't necessarily trainable unless they're able to tap into that inside themselves and understand the value of that level of leadership. So this is a part where they've already um, sort of bypassed the individual person that's a candidate for a leadership position. They've bypassed all of the resistance and they just said, you're just going to go coach with this guy because everyone we've given him, they've like changed like completely. So you're going to go coach with this guy. And, and that's the contract that I'm currently involved in. And, and I, you know, I thought that is the absolute truth for most people. If they can't ask for help because of whatever is, issues going on, either their fear of not being good enough or their, their shame or their, their sense of imposterism, you know, all of that, if they can't ask for help, they can never bring their soul to work because they're too busy holding up a mask of what they're pretending to be. And there's so much, in my opinion, leader shame in the corporate arena because people have leadership positions and they know that they really don't know how to lead. And they know that it's difficult for them to get engagement from their teams and that there must be a secret a secret sauce to make it all work. And, and there is, I mean, there's two things they have to be able to engage in, which is their own vulnerability and transparency so people can trust them and the ability to have respect for other people meaning that you truly listen, you take away, if you have any team leads or managers, you either evolve those team leads and managers to have and listen and speak respectively to their team members, or you repurpose them into another position within the company that is not working as an authority uh, in a team environment. So it becomes this thing where it's cyclical. You know, first it comes from here, then it comes out into your teams, your family, then it goes out into the larger community that is your organization. And even there, I think it goes out even further, which is out into the community in which your organization serves. So all of it is really about coming from the core of you, how you're going to manage you so your heart can open more, you can trust bigger, you can be more transparent, you can be more authentic, so people become inspired by you and trust you. When they trust you, they work faster, they work harder, greater staff retention, greater productivity, and greater culture. So coming full circle from I need help to this is how we start to actualize everything. We get the help, but get the help that works at the deepest level so that your heart can open and be who you really are, and then begin to cast that out to others and pay that forward so more can be served. And I think when we do that, um, that's, when we, that's when we become an authentic leader. Wonderful. I, I love that. Um, I, I definitely encourage folks to, to reach out to you who are in that spot, um, and, and they find themselves needing to ask for that help and, and get this figured out. Well, and people in business looking for strategy and podcast development and videography. I mean, you're one of the best in the business, buddy. So people need to like reach out to you for that because once their message gets honed, they have to have a way of getting out there 
um, posting on LinkedIn, posting on Facebook, you know, but they need to be professionally done videos or else you lose your credibility and you begin to start diminishing your brand. So I think what we're both doing is, is really vital um, for the evolution of people that are conscious entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs and, and companies to actually do something um, wildly more effective. Yes. Big time. All right, Gary. Thank Thanks you so much. Friend. Wonderful. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Concentric. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd certainly like a great review from you on your favorite podcasting platform. But more than that, what really makes a difference to a show like ours is a recommendation to someone who would love this show like you do. Word of mouth referrals to your network and your podcast devouring friends is incredibly helpful to the growth of this show. For episode links and info, go to concentricshow.com. Thank you so much. And remember to keep building alignment to build a better life.